Craig Jarvis. I'm the lead pastor at Village Church East, and we're excited uh, to be able to uh, serve you this morning. Last Sunday, we joined you for your service. This Sunday, we, we have the opportunity to kind of lead this morning, which is really a great privilege for us. So thank you for inviting us in and giving us this chance to um, just to, to do a little appetizer before we actually start our summer together on June the 5th. Uh, I feel like you are very far away from me. So this is very odd for me. I feel, I feel like you should be, I'm used to being like this close. So uh, once I was in a service, what's that? Should I just, yeah, I'll just walk forward. Uh, <laughs> married, look at that. Once, uh, once I was in a service and the guy, I, f I feel like he felt, I f probably feel like right now, uh, and he started going, going to town as he was preaching and he, and he had a handkerchief and he was throwing it around and he wiped his brow and he was wiping his nose with it and everything and then he felt like, okay, I got to get closer to everybody. So as he did his message, he actually started walking closer and closer and then he walked up and down the aisle and then he got so bold, he took that handkerchief and he started laying it on people's heads. <laughs> that was pretty gross. I, I fortunately was far in the pew, so I didn't, I didn't get a taste of that, literally. Um, no, it's exciting to be able to be with you. I know that you usually have a, a time of prayer at the beginning, and please forgive us. We're working through how to do that really well. Uh, we do uh, want to emphasize prayer this summer, definitely. Uh, in, a, in a crowd this size, it might be difficult to do prayer requests, and so we're trying to figure out the best way to do that. Uh, for now, uh, we want to invite you after the service. We always have this prayer banner over here that you can see. And if you would like to come forward and have some of the elders, uh, leadership of the church, pray over you, uh, we, we do that quite often at East. And uh, you can share anything you want with, with us, and, and we share it with one another. Keep it confidential uh, among the leadership of the church. But if you would like to be prayed over before you go, uh, a lot of our folks and, uh, really enjoy that. And I think, I think it's a boost for people as they go through their, their weeks as well. So you're invited to do that. We'll remind you at the end of the service uh, as well. Well, there's a lot of things going on uh, for this first Sunday that we're getting to spend together today. Uh, we have a lot of things planned that we're working on through the summer. One of the things I wanted to give you a heads up on that wasn't announced during the announcements because we're still working on uh, the details of this is we're gonna be planning a picnic uh, for our churches uh, every second Sunday. So the second Sunday and the fourth Sunday of every month, uh, we're going to try and get together and have a picnic. So if you can stick around, uh, that would be June, uh, what's seven plus five? June the 12th. Uh, we will be hopefully right out here on, uh, on the lawn. Andrew, you, are you at that? Who's living in that house? You guys are? So we need to ask your permission uh, to be able to do that. But I'm hoping we can like, join right out here and just spend some time and get to know one another. Picnics don't last long, but we all bring food and uh, we'll share it with one another and just spend a, a little bit of time getting to know each other a little bit better uh, as well. All right, I want to share with you a little bit about uh, one of the passages that is probably the most, one of the most confusing in Scripture. It's found in John chapter 6, and in order to get there, let me first of all ask you this question. What is the strangest thing you've ever eaten? Mm-hmm. So I've had, uh, do you, does anybody know what kui is? I bet you do, right? Kui is great, but you need to get all the hairs off. Otherwise, it's a little, kui is a guinea pig. Yes, kui is guinea pig. Uh, I've had condor. That was kind of interesting. I, I've eaten things in other countries that I didn't ask what it was. 
uh, but I'm pretty sure it was stuff I wouldn't have here. Have you ever watched Fear Factor? So they eat a lot of weird things on Fear Factor. I watched one where they actually had to drive up to roadkill and scoop it up, put it in a blender and drink that. And uh, yeah, so, so I don't think I've had anything that gross yet. Uh, stuff that we've eaten is kind of, uh, you, you probably have a wonderful list and after the service, you're just dying to share that list with me. That would be great. I'm always looking for somebody that can one-up the stuff that I've eaten because it always makes for a wonderful conversation. But let me say this. Have you ever been so hungry? I'm going to trip over this. Screw, I'm just moving a screw. Uh, have you ever been so hungry that you, you're, you're ready to eat anything? Have you? There's a couple of people. It's not a usual thing in our culture, uh, but I have had a few times in my life that I've been so hungry, I feel like I would eat anything. Uh, spiritually, uh, physically, this rarely happens because usually we can get to food in our culture that we live today. In fact, this church has a wonderful ministry of a, a pantry. Uh, Village Church East, you should know, Fellowship has done this ministry for years where they have uh, helped the community with this food pantry that, that they do, and they continue to do, I think after the service today, we're actually doing it as well. Uh, in our culture today, you can usually get your hands on some food if you want it. But spiritually, not having food is a regular occurrence. There's many people in our culture today that are spiritually starving. In fact, the Bible speaks of a day when it, when, that is coming when people will be so famished for spiritual food that they will eat anything. They'll take anything that's fed to them. Let me give this verse from Amos. It's actually one of the saddest verses, I think, in Scripture. It's Amos 8, verse 11. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea. Listen how sad this is. From north to east, they shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. It would be very sad if in our day we get to this point. But I have to tell you, I think we're close. People have a great hunger for spiritual food, for spiritual righteousness, for truth, for peace, for spiritual satisfaction. And to be honest with you, Jesus is the answer to this hunger. Jesus is the answer to all of our spiritual famishnessness, however you want to say it, right? If you're starving spiritually, Jesus literally today, and we'll find out, says he will provide all the food that you need spiritually to be satisfied. God's provided all of the food we need to satisfy our hunger for all spiritual things. The tragedy is people refuse to come to Jesus for this food. The irony is <laughs> the concept that Jesus uses in this passage today literally is, if you're spiritually starving, I am the food God has sent for you to feast from. In fact, he literally says in verse 56 of John 6, which is our main passage, so if you want to use your Bibles this morning, you're more than welcome to. We're going to be in John 6, and we're moving through this passage, but it's also up on the screen. Here's what he says. Whoever feeds on my flesh... And I feel like you need to read this with me because it's almost repulsive. Read, read it if you would. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Now, we're used to this language. 
They are not. In fact, as Jewish people, they're not allowed to eat anything with blood in it. They're not, they're, it's prohibited for them. So for Jesus to stand up in John 6 in front of this crowd and say to them, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood, they would have been somewhat confused, maybe skeptical, but definitely repulsed. If these words strike you as odd, I believe they're meant to. These Christians in the early church, actually, who practiced communion, uh, actually did so and were, were, uh, were uh, um, accused of being uh, vampires, accused of being people who ate, you know, cannibals, people who ate and drank uh, blood. Jesus intentionally used, sorry, I'm distracted. There was a kid outside. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm just making sure he's, he's okay. He is. Um, Jesus intentionally used this repulsive idea in order to get uh, a message across to the folks. So let me bring you up to speed where we're at. This message from Jesus is a two-day-old message. He actually has started this message when he fed 5,000. And when we talk about him feeding 5,000, that was only 5,000 men. Once you add women and children in, it probably is more like 15 to 20,000. Jesus has fed 15 to 20,000 people with a snack pack. He basically has used crackers, which was the muffin, you know, the bread. You remember he used the bread and the fish? This would have been like little muffins and sardines for fish. With that, he fed 5,000 men, maybe 20,000 people, to the point, the Bible says, where they are all stuffed. Not stuffed like, okay, I'm satisfied, stuffed like after Thanksgiving dinner stuffed. They walk away from that, and they think to themselves, where did all this food come from? It's a great opening illustration for a message that he's going to carry over for the next two days. He comes back across the Sea of Galilee, the crowd follows him across. He walks into the synagogue, and that's where we find him in John chapter 6. And in John chapter 6, he wraps up what he was talking about, what his whole message is about, using bread and food as an illustration. They ate until they were full. They saw the dinner. Uh, they saw the show. They, got, they ate the dinner. It literally was a dinner and a show. He's healing people He's, you know, he's making people, it says he's doing miracles, all these different miracles. They were so blown away, they tried to make him king. He said, it's not my time yet. He walked away, got away from them. They won't let him go. So they follow him back to the synagogue, and he keeps trying to teach them what he was actually getting at. And they weren't listening. They liked Jesus. They liked the magic I mean, who wouldn't? It'd be pretty cool to see lame people walking around, right? That'd be a great service, right? Somebody come forward, they're blind, sh shazam, all of a sudden now they can see. That'd be a pretty good show. They don't have TV, they don't have social media, so they're interested in seeing what Jesus can do, but they're not interested in knowing who Jesus is. So when he says, I am the food that comes down from heaven for you to eat, they don't like that. And there's a reason why. We lose it in the translation. They would rather keep reading from the menu that, than eat what God has provided. Welcome to 2022. I went to my daughter's graduation 
and uh, I was reminded of this passage, and it was going over in my head. And I thought to myself, they understood. If they accepted Jesus for who he said he was, the food that comes down from heaven, they committed. And that's what they didn't want to do. They liked what Jesus gave them. They just didn't like who Jesus claimed to be. And they didn't want to commit. We went to the graduation uh, at, uh, in Southern California, USC. My daughter graduated there last, last week. She did really great. She's on her way to Peru right now. If you, yeah, I know, my daughter. That you could clap for. Uh, that's all the VCE people who love my, my little girl. She's on her way to Peru. She's doing some uh, studies down there now. But uh, they had her convocation. <laughs> thousands, thousands of graduates go up, and we're sitting in the beating sun and looking for her. There's no way we can find her. There's just too many people. So we're looking on the screen, trying to catch any glimpse of her. Don't see her. So all the graduates sit down, and then they said, now our, our time is going to be opened by our chaplain. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, boy. So he comes up. And he gives, I actually, I think he's, I'll tell you what he said, and then you can tell me if you think it's a prayer or not, because I think he thought it was a prayer. But he said, 40 billion years ago, I'm not making any of this up, 40, like, why is it not 39 or 38? Like, why do they get 40? You ever wonder that? Like, why not 100 billion? No, 40 billion years ago, when the cosmos came together, and birthed life from the stars. And I'm thinking to myself, where in science do nothing and nothing ever connect to make something, right? But in evolution, that is the basis. Nothing and nothing collided to make something, which is, doesn't make sense. Like God makes more sense than that does. So, so he starts there, and he says, we all came from the same star. We're all stardust. And because we all came from the same star that, that was made out of this nothing-nothing collision, against all odds, life began. And because of that, we're all from the same star. We're all brothers and sisters. And because of that, we share a common bond. We need to take care of this earth, and, we need to, and the transition is made. And I, I was listening to this, and, I, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, where is he going? And, 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 he, and he just said, you know, we're all in this together, basically is where he was going with it. And then he said, and let's all together say amen. And everybody said amen. Except for me. I said, bull crap. <laughs> now, if I have offended you with that word... I'm sorry about that, but I could have used worse words to describe what I was just fed. And everybody there said amen, and somebody in that crowd needed to speak a little bit of contradiction to what was said. Thousands of people, amen. We live in a world that is hungry for spiritual truth, and they'll, they'll read any menu that is put in front of them. But when Jesus Christ is put in front of them, he is the part of the menu that is the most repulsive. He's the roadkill that they refuse to eat. And there's a reason for that. And that's where we come into John chapter 6. Look at verse 33. Jesus said, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. 
Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. For those of us that follow Jesus Christ, we're going, yeah, that's good stuff, right? That's good teaching. For them, it was like, ah, I don't like that at all. It's the roadkill. Words of life from Jesus Christ. He's in Capernaum. He's at the synagogue. He's got a, a crowd that has followed him literally for two days. They've eaten the food. They've, they've seen the magic. They've seen the miracles. And then he starts with these words. I am the bread of life. Here's how he ticked them off right at the beginning. He used those two words to start his speech. What are the two words he started with? In Greek, it reads, ego emi. In the Hebrew, it, re it reads, Yahweh. When they hear Jesus say, I am the bread of life, he is taking the name of God. They don't like that. Because there's only one God. Jesus begins by giving them something that is very hard to swallow right from the get-go. And they understood it. Why? Because look at verse 41. So the Jews, what did they do, church? The Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Do you know what the word grumbled here means? The same word as those wonderful Israelites that followed Moses out of Egypt. Do you remember those guys? They grumbled, they complained, same word. It's this murmuring that begins when you're not happy with a situation, and it only is meant to lead to one place. You have no intention of listening or opening your mind or hearing another point of view. You begin grumbling, intentionally heading toward discontentment. That's the word grumbling here. They don't want to listen to what Jesus says. They begin to grumble, and they have a bad attitude from the beginning, they are hard of heart, the Bible calls them, and they are not willing to listen at all. Have you ever been in a situation where you were, you were so set in a way that you thought that you walked into a situation with the idea, nothing's going to change my mind? You probably have. I've never done that, but you probably have. No, I'm just kidding. We've all walked into situations like that. And sometimes, sometimes God breaks through but sometimes we just walk in with a bad attitude with the idea that nothing's going to change my mind on this. These are the guys that Jesus is talking to, and you can see it in their response. Look at verse 42. This is what they say. Is this not Jesus, <laughs> son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? We know Jesus. We know your parents. We've heard the story of how Mary and Joseph got pregnant. We're not buying it, but we've heard that story. Bottom line is, you're Mary and Joseph's son, or you're Mary and somebody else's son, and Joseph had mercy on Mary, or whatever it is. Their answer to what they hear Jesus say indicates their grumbling, their hardness of heart. They are incredulous. They have made their mind up about who Jesus was, and they are willfully obstinate. They can't argue with the magic. They can't argue with the miracles. They like seeing those things. They want more food. That was pretty cool. You know, a little can of sardines, and we're all full. I'll, I'll do that. That's pretty cool. They want all of that stuff. They just don't want Jesus. They even wanted to make him king so that they could take down their enemies. They just don't want Jesus. They didn't like the menu he was serving them. 
I don't know about you, but I'm old enough to know several people in my life that have walked away from their faith because they heard or experienced things that were too difficult for them to have their faith carry them through. And they abandoned their faith. There's four reasons why people abandon their faith. Here they are. Number one, suffering. Sometimes suffering causes us to abandon our faith. Sometimes the pain is too much. Emotionally, physically, whatever it is, suffering. Number two, unanswered questions. Sometimes we get into situations where we just say, I need an answer and I'm going to worship my question more than I'm willing to worship the answer Jesus gives to me. I've met people like that. Sat down with one man, love him to death. One of my favorite guys in the world. And I had coffee with him and he said, Craig, listen, we're friends. I'm not a Christian. I don't believe what you believe. But I just want to tell you, I'm not trying to be a jerk. I just, I just don't believe it because I've got too many questions that I need answers for. And I looked at him and I said, listen, you've got to sacrifice your questions and take Jesus at his word. Some people let their questions get in the way. Idols. This is one of our favorite. Jesus, I'll follow Jesus until he takes this away. How about this one? I'll follow Jesus until he takes my daughter away. I'll follow Jesus until he takes my boyfriend away. I'll follow Jesus until he takes whatever it is goes in this hand. If he takes it away, that's when I abandon faith. That's what's called an idol. Or number four, hard truth. Some of us just don't like hearing the hard truth. It's tough. And so sometimes those things cause us to abandon our faith. Sometimes they cause us to look elsewhere to find answers in life. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus is the one who carries us through. Our faith in Jesus Christ is meant to give us all of the power that excels all of the challenges in this life. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Do you know if you resist the devil, you don't have to run? Did you know that? If you resist the devil, who runs? He does. You resist the devil, he runs. So let me ask you, church, is faith stronger than anything comes against us? The answer is absolutely. Your faith is meant to carry you through. Some people don't like that truth and run into challenges along the way. Verse 43, Jesus realizes what's going on in their hearts and he said to them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So if you have a problem with grumbling, if you have a problem with coming to Jesus Christ and seeing him as God's choice for your food, God's choice as the only menu, you literally are going to a restaurant where there's only one thing on the menu, it's Jesus. If you have a problem with that, then you need to pray and ask God to break through that barrier because there's a barrier that only he can overcome. Jesus said it himself, no one comes to me unless God draws him. And if you have a challenge with faith in any way, even if you don't know Christ at all, my challenge to you is pray. Ask God for help. You'd be amazed at the barriers he can break down for us. Point of the matter is, only God can give us this hunger for the food that God gives to us. No one searches after God. All of us have gone astray. There's none that does good. No, not. All right, you know these verses. God is the one that gives us a taste for Jesus. And the fact of the matter is, 
Sometimes some of us have to get to that point before we eat what God has provided. It's horrible to not have food when you're hungry. But it's worse to be spiritually starving and look at Jesus in the face as the only food that really satisfies and say, I don't want that. I'm not taking that. In fact, Jesus said it himself in verse 36. I say to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. I've never been so hungry that I would eat a person. That's happened in situations. You know of some of those situations. Jesus is saying that you have to be that hungry, spiritually, before you accept what God is offering us in the person of Jesus Christ. And the sad truth is that's why people don't come to Jesus. They don't like what's on the menu. Let me give you the verses in particular. Verse 54. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Sounds vampire, doesn't it? Whoever eats my flesh, like, think about hearing this, drinks my blood has eternal life. Verse 55, for my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. This is the conclusion to the feeding of the 5,000. Now remember, they understand what he's saying. We don't get it because we're not of their background. We look at it and we're influenced by our own culture, so we look at it in a different way. But they understand. Jesus is saying he is their sustenance. He is what they need in order to have a relationship with God. They do not look at this as sacramental. There is no one listening to Jesus that thinks to themselves, oh, this is the communion bread and the communion juice. Nobody is thinking that in this passage because he's not talking about communion at all. Instead, what he's talking about is us abiding in him and him abiding in us. Many people have taught on this passage to teach a false uh, doctrine called transubstantiation. How many of you heard of transubstantiation before? All right, a lot of you have, good. How about consubstantiation? You like that one? How many of you heard that one? Any Lutherans in the crowd? Yeah, consubstantiation is it's a Lutheran idea. Transubstantiation is a Catholic idea. Uh, it's the idea that we must eat and drink Jesus in order to have eternal life. And they go to this passage as evidence that that's true. In fact, in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, in 13760 section, you will find these words. This is the Council of Trent, and it summarizes the Catholic faith this way. Because Christ our Redeemer said that it was truly his body he was offering under the species of bread, it has always been the conviction of the Church of God, and this Holy Council now declares again that by the consecration of bread and wine there takes place a change of the whole substance of the bread into the substance of the body of Christ our Lord, and of the whole substance of the wine into the substance of his blood. This change, the Holy Catholic Church, is fittingly and properly calling transubstantiation. In other words, the Roman Catholic Church teaches that an ordained priest blesses the bread of the Lord's Supper and the blood, and it is transformed into the actual flesh of Christ, even though it retains the appearance, odor, and, and, and taste of bread. 
And when he blesses the wine, it's transformed in the actual blood of Jesus Christ. Luther had a struggle with this, came up with consubstantiation, where he said that Jesus' presence is over, around, and beneath, surrounds the body and the blood. Uh, I want to challenge you, if you're out of that tradition, uh, this passage in particular does not talk about that at all. I'll give you a couple of different reasons why. When Jesus was speaking in John chapter 6, he, was, he had not had his last supper with his disciples. In fact, if you do the chronology, this is about one year before Jesus is crucified. So Jesus is not doing the Lord's Supper. This has nothing to do with the Lord's Supper. Number two, the context is talking about Jesus, abiding in Jesus. It's not talking about doing the Lord's Supper. They're, they've actually never done the Lord's Supper. They've only done Passover. So this is figurative and symbolic language. In fact, in verse 63, Jesus goes on to say, it is the spirit who gives life. Not my body, not my blood. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words I've spoken to you are of the spirit and life. Number three, Jesus rejects any offer of sacrificing his body over and over again. This is throughout scripture. In fact, if you believe that his body and blood are, 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 are changed somehow, then what you're doing is you're sacrificing Jesus over and over and over again. That is, uh, that is not scriptural. Some passages, Hebrews 10, 10, 1 Peter 3, 18, where Jesus is sacrificed once for all. Another one, Jesus, this is number four, Jesus clearly presents the Lord's Supper as a reminder or a memorial, never as a replacement, never as actual consumption. Some verses for this, Luke 22, 19, 1 Corinthians 11, 24 to 25, what we read every time we do communion. This is a memorial. This is a, we call it memorialism. This is a reminder to us of what Jesus did. There's no mystical thing that goes on when we take communion. It's simply a moment when we remember what Jesus has done for us in giving his body and blood for us. And so uh, to take that out of John chapter 6, I think is not good exegesis. And if you're, if you're struggling with that, I want to just give you an invitation. We can get together and have a coffee. I'd love to talk through this with you. Uh, if you would like to do that. But eating and drinking Jesus is simply a misrepresentation of this passage of Scripture. Jesus never talks about his redemption plan in John chapter 6 at all. All he's talking about is abiding in him, accepting him, believing in him. Verse 57, he continues the conversation. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not the bread that our fathers ate and died. That's talking about the manna. And whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus is encouraging us as his followers to literally feed on him. Not his actual flesh, but on the words and the teaching and the purpose of his mission. Belief is not an addendum to Christianity. Belief is the center of what makes a Christian. In the same way you can't live without eating, you can't live without Jesus Christ spiritually. That's the hard part. That's where you get to a group of thousands that are spoken to by a chaplain who gets paid to be a chaplain, the spokesperson 
for spiritual truth who refuses to accept Jesus as the main menu of God. Because the fear is it will be culturally unacceptable. So as I've said at Village Church East, I will say here again to fellowship, the culture does not put the church on trial. The church puts the culture on trial. This is where we've lost the battle. Because the church and those who claim to follow religious leadership have given up their authority given to them by the word of God to claim that Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. That's an offensive word today. But it's the truth. Remember those things that cause us to abandon our faith? One of them was hard truth. And Jesus had a tendency to speak hard truth constantly, which is why he made a lot of enemies and eventually got himself killed. Their daily food to sustain themselves in life was what they needed in order to be strong. Jesus said, your daily food, spiritually, needs to be me, and you need to feast on what I teach. Believing to the point of feasting on everything Jesus is teaching, buying into his mission to save the world through his death and resurrection. This is eating what Jesus is serving. This is following Jesus no matter what. This means abiding in Jesus regardless of the onslaughts of life. It means rearranging your cause to fit his cause. This is why it's offensive. Because my cause is usually the best cause. And Jesus says, no, 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 you have to get on board what I'm doing. I'm not going to get on board what you're doing. In fact, you don't get to tell me what to do. I'm going to tell you what to do. Even in our prayers, Jesus gave us this wonderful example. When he prayed and asked God for stuff, he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Why? Because God's mission is better than ours. And if Jesus prayed that, brothers and sisters, we should be very careful that we don't form God in our image, but he continues to form us in his. Remember the list of things that cause us to wander from faith? Here's the point. No suffering would ever cause me to wander away from the love of Jesus Christ. No doubt is greater than my devotion to Jesus. No idol can pull my heart away. No challenge in my thinking will ever cause me to abandon him. The point is true believers follow Jesus no matter what. This passage isn't about communion. This passage is about whether or not you accept Jesus hook, line, and sinker, and you never abandon him. False believers want signs. They want to keep their power. They want a different menu when life gets difficult. True followers of Jesus Christ always buy into his teaching. They see life through the prism of God's word. Which brings me to so what? So what, number one, is this. If I, as a true believer, hear something hard from Jesus Christ, I always give Jesus the benefit of the doubt. The nature of being so hungry is to eat anything that you're given. I'm starving. <laughs> yeah, I'll eat anything. 
to be spiritually starving and run into Jesus Christ is to get like this fire hose of food. It's like going to Ponderosa and going up to the buffet as often as you want, piling your plate full and just stuffing yourself like it's Thanksgiving dinner, even though it's Sunday afternoon every single week. The idea that when you come into a place like this with brothers and sisters and you hear the word of God, your intention, your reception is, that was awesome, not uh, I like the first part, but not the last part. I'm going to take the middle part and cut that into pieces. And We live in a world that doesn't like what Jesus teaches. They cut, they paste. But true followers of Jesus Christ follow him no matter what. Like Job said, even if he takes my life, yet will I follow him. It's clear evidence that disciples knew what Jesus was saying when he talked about eating and drinking. They all went to their death for the gospel of Jesus Christ. This was changing the language. He was upping the ante. He was saying everything in your life has to revolve around me and my teaching. How do I know that he, they understood it? Because in John chapter 6 and verse 60, if you walk down a little bit further in the passage, you read the second worst passage in the Bible. And here's what it said. When many of his disciples heard it, they said... What they say, church? This is a hard saying. What did I say? Did I say something wrong? This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? They understood Jesus is giving them literally no other options from the menu. It's me or nothing. The rich young ruler came to Jesus. He was rich, so he was well off. He was young, so he was well off. And he was a ruler, so he was well off. Rich, young, and a ruler. But he knew he was missing something. He had wealth, he had youth, he had power. But he was missing something. So he comes to Jesus and he says, what do I have to do to get eternal life? I want to make sure I got everything straight here. Remember what Jesus said to him? Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come back and we'll have a conversation. <laughs> now, there's nowhere in Scripture that it says that, by the way. But that was Jesus' command to him. Why? Because he wanted Jesus as an addendum. He had a menu he was eating from on a regular basis. It was good. He was rich, he was young, and he was, he, he was a ruler. Who wouldn't like those three things, right? So he came to Jesus and he said, life is good. I'd like for you too. Give me more. Jesus said, no, you don't understand. It has to be me plus nothing. And literally, Jesus said, so here's the deal. For you, I'm going to take away everything you have because all that stuff is too important. And I'm going to lay out for you, the only thing on the menu is me. Are you willing to do that? And the Bible says he went away very sad because he was very rich. He wanted to add Jesus. So Jesus took away his menu and gave him God's menu. Remember how this whole conversation started? You may not know this, but the conversation started in verse 33. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world, Jesus says. And they said to him, verse 34, what did they say? Is it up there? No, it's not. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. They asked for it. Whatever you're offering, just give it to us. 
give us this bread always. But it's far more meaty than that. You like that pun? It's far more meaty than that. This is about following Jesus and doing what he says no matter what. Number two, so what? It is okay and expected if people hear hard things and reject Jesus Christ. Naturally, the question at this point is, what about those who reject Craig? Church, the problem is not the offer. The problem is the heart. The offer is to anybody. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. To them he gave the right to be called children of God. The offer is to everybody. How about I pick one that's really popular? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should have eternal life, not perish. You see, the offer's not the problem. It's the heart that's the problem. We don't like what God's feeding us in the person of Jesus Christ. And our culture today, it is even offensive to say that. But on purpose, Jesus uses disgusting, crazy language so that he can get it through to them that they need to believe in Jesus Christ and hunger for him like they're hungering for food. That they understood. Now, if you're sitting here thinking, Craig, that's really demanding. I think you're just starting to get the point. Here's how Jesus goes on to talk in verse 66. Even the disciples had a hard time believing this. In verse 66, it says, after this, many of his disciples, many of his disciples, church, after this, many of his disciples turned back and refused to walk with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, the core group. Jesus turns and said to this 12, do you want to go as well, away as well? It's after this teaching, his disciples abandoned him. So he turns to the 12. He says, do you want to go away, away as well? Verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, and he understood everything Jesus said, because he said to him, Lord, where else shall we go? You alone have the words of life. Peter understood fully what Jesus was saying. And he said, where else do we have to go? And then he says, we have believed and come to know you alone are the Holy One of God. Jesus exposes hard hearts. It's just what he does. He loves to do it. It takes a lot of people off in the meantime. But the good news is, he has gone to incredible lengths to help us believe. He doesn't make it hard for us to believe, and then provide a hard road to go through, to get to himself. He makes it incredibly easy. The only challenge is your own heart. No one comes to Jesus on their feet. Everyone comes to Jesus on their knees. In fact, we all come to God on the back of a broken Savior. He gave his life to make this road easy for us. In fact, at the end of John's gospel, he says, there are many other signs that I didn't include in this book, but these are, in this, these are written in this book so that you might believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. Church, 
God has been so gracious to us to make this path easy. He gave us his only son. What more could he do? There's no other way to get to heaven. There's no other way to get to a holy God. We must come through the blood of a holy sacrifice. Jesus is the only one. And if you read in the book of Revelation chapter 1 about the end times, John has a vision of the one who holds the keys to death. And it's not Muhammad. It's not Gandhi. It's not one of the million Hindu gods. The one he sees who has the keys to death and the grave is Jesus Christ, the lamb who had been slain for the world. What lengths has God gone to to order to make this path easy for us? I would say he's gone to pretty extreme lengths. It's our own hard hearts that are, that's, that's the barrier to overcome. So church, let me encourage you. If you're struggling with your faith today, run to God's word. Jesus himself said as his conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount, whoever hears these words of mine and builds on them is like a person who builds his house on a, on a rock. When the winds come and the storms rage, when the pressure comes and this hardness hurts and the distress visits us in the middle of the night, when we go through questions we'd rather have answers to, but we learn maybe we'll never get those answers. When we go through suffering and all the things that keep us from faith, we run to God's word and we realize he alone has the answers to this life. And when you surrender like that, you'll find wonderful treasures on the other side. You may still go through the pain of this world because we live in a sinful world. But you'll find love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, gentleness, and self-control. Because that is the gift of God to all who believe. Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful for the time that we got to spend this morning Looking into John chapter 6, what a mess. What a mess some of us have made of this passage. But the people who have heard this in your day when you spoke these words fully understood the exclusiveness you were claiming in this teaching. So Father, my prayer is that our two churches, Fellowship and Village Church East, would stand firmly on the exclusiveness that you claim as the only path to a holy God. There's no access to Father except through you. You are the food we must feast on in order to have spiritual life. Your words, your teaching, your mission, we must follow you boldly, courageously, no matter what comes in the future, because you alone have the words of life. May we be that abandoned in our own selfishness, in our own desires, may we surrender them all to you so that you find in our generation an army of followers that you've rarely seen before in this world. And may we turn this world upside down for the gospel of Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray, amen.